Welcome to Stu Hart's Dungeon. Yes, I'm recording from the dungeon again. If the audio quality is not up to your 2022 standards, I understand. Eventually, I will get back to the main office and record from the main computer with the high-definition camera and the condenser microphone. Why do those guys always have those giant micro? Why, why are they always sitting there choking on a microphone in most of these DFS shows? I get it. You got a nice microphone. You could move it three inches away and get it out of the shot. But for whatever reason, the style, and it is, make no mistake, it is stylistic. You don't really need to have that microphone that close. This is a whole podcast, not just DFS. Joe Rogan got that microphone just about a fist away from your, from your face. It doesn't have to be that close. As long as you're speaking in a pretty you know, consistent volume and not raising your voice too much or going too low, which I am terrible at. Yeah, that's right. You get a little excited at times. Anyway, whatever. I'll never understand that. Get that mic right there in the middle of the shot. We got to show them. We got the expensive XLRs here, folks. We're a real deal show. There you are looking at Richmond results from the spring race. What we're going to do in this podcast, Fantasy NASCAR Podcast 531, is look at the Richmond results from the spring and then compare those to Richmond practice data. Maybe we can see some sort of correlation. You can do this on your own as well. If you have access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet, you can get access to that spreadsheet by saying thank you. Now, how can you say Thank you. You can go to raceforthepriz.com. There's a link at the top right with a red box and helmet. That'll take you to Brandon Cruz's Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. And you can just drop some money in our tin. We are panhandling, folks. We're begging for your donations. Or not. No big deal. Maybe you just want to watch the videos. Maybe you just love hitting that like button and subscribing to the videos. See a lot of people come back to the channel. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Getting some new people. The Google YouTube algo is having some fun with us this time, you know? It's awesome. It's great. Anyway, uh, put in some monthly money, and then we'll add it to the sheets. If not, put in some monthly money just because you want to say thank you. All right. So here we go. If you have access to this sheet and all the other sheets, we can look at some pretty, uh, there's some summarized or synthesized practice data. You can also get really hairy, and we'll try to look at this as well, just looking at some of the lap-by-lap data in Richmond. And, you know, data in all racing when we won't have one practice, small sample size can easily be skewed, so it really is important to look at the lap-by-lap date. It's very dangerous to simply rely on, what was this, 5-lap average, 10-lap average, and 15-lap average. I will repeat that because we're going into Richmond, and I will show you. I mean, look, you can see for yourself. Eric Jones was one of the faster cars because of his 5-lap average. 5 laps not bad. I mean, if you remember the dark ages of fantasy NASCAR where you're looking at one lap, have five lap average, a lot of people say, well, that's good enough for me. I was getting by on one lap, five lap, and that's fine if that's good enough for you, but Eric Jones is not going to have a good result in this race. Eric Jones has had a good season, and you might have gone into this race thinking Eric Jones starting fifth, having a good season. Him and Dave Ellens are really knocking it out, fifth and five lap average. Well, the first alert to you, though, should be other people are running 10 laps, 15 consecutive laps. 
Ryan Blaney's got a car that is consistent and strong for 25 laps. He can run 25 laps without stopping. He feels that confident, that comfortable. He's that satisfied with his car that he's not bringing it in and say, hey, let's change something. Whereas Mr. Five Lap Average cannot run longer than five laps at a time. They're five fast laps, but that's an alert. And that's you say, well, I want to see some of these other laps. And if you could see some of these other laps, which you can with the spreadsheet that you can get at racefortheprize.com, you can look at laps, where they're coming, how they're coming, where his speeds are, and then you say, maybe I'm not so excited. Yeah, he really burned some pretty solid laps here in 6 through 10. But he can only go five laps. And then his next five, he lets his tires cool off. He puts together a pretty good run. But again, you're only running five laps. Uh, hey, Eric, I'm not sure if you know this, but Richmond's not really about the five fast laps, five first five laps. It's, it's, it's about managing tires on the long run. This is an abrasive track. So running these five laps here, this is worthless data. Because you've let your tires cool off, you went out there and basically hot lapped again. Now, when he goes out this time, we start to see, all right, this is probably the car that he has on these laps. And then if you compare that to other drivers, then you get to see that Eric Jones is not going to be up there towards the front. But you can't do that unless you're looking at the lap-by-lap data. But if you look at this data, you would have probably said, man, I really don't believe in Eric Jones. If you were only looking at 5-lap, 10-lap, 15-lap averages, you were on a completely different page. You were on a completely different planet. You were looking at it from a, like, basically, you just couldn't see everything. You had blinders on. So, again, just another, like, as I always say, a sheet sells itself. And there's another example of the sheet selling itself. If you're only looking at 5-lap, 10-lap, 15-lap averages, like, I'm not saying that you did play Eric Jones, but I'm saying you're much more likely to play Eric Jones. And so think of all the people that are only looking at 5, 10, 15-lap averages probability just from a statistical says they're going to play more Jones than you and you can play less it's a very easy way to differentiate people are like how do I differentiate from the people look at different data look at data that's not widely available that is the easiest way to swerve from these massive tournaments where you're I mean look we have a 40 driver pool it is very hard to build lineups that are different so any little different route that you can take is great. And you would love for those little different routes to be based on something more than, I'm just going to make the dome pick. And I know sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes you have to make the dome pick. But sometimes you'd like to swerve or differentiate or diverge from the sheep by using data analysis research or the information that you have witnessed within your own eyes. There it is. Just another example. Okay, let's look at practice, look at results, and see what we can do here. So right here, we have the fastest car in practice, Ryan Blaney, no doubt, on the synthesized chart. And you can even look at the long chart and see that he was cooking. And he was starting on the pole. We know clean air is a big thing. So you would assume if there is any correlation whatsoever, if any correlation exists, then this guy's got to score some fantasy points. We can scroll over, and we will see that he scored. Now, it's not all fitting on my screen very well, so I'm at the high. I'm at the, oh, man, too much data. We're going to have to shrink it down a little bit. That'll 
have to do, donkey. Okay. Hopefully that's big enough for you to see. Blaney, 10 fast lap points. It's the fourth most. Leads all of stage one, wins stage one. If stage one, for whatever reason, was no longer this small little mini stage, I don't know why they're doing that. Remember when they finally came and were like, look, we're just going to make all the stages the same size. And then they came around like, you know what, we're just going to screw off the stages so much so that would just create these weird circumstances. That's what it is now. Like, we're going to make a teeny stage, and then maybe a little bit bigger stage, and then a big papa stage. What are you doing? Get rid of stages. Hashtag done with stages. I can't take it anymore. You really could improve the racing at Richmond and really have people guessing and make the crew chiefs wander, make the fans wander. Just run a damn race. Let people choose their own strategy. If someone wants to start short pitting, let them short pit and see if it works out for them. If people want to run long, let them run really long and let's see if it works out for them. But these stages, oh, Lord, Richmond just doesn't work. Anyway, he does well. So put a stamp of approval. There is a correlation. William Byron, really good. Lays down a fast lap, fast enough lap. Lays down a fast enough lap to qualify towards the front. He's going to be in clean air. He's going to be up towards the front. This, not so good. 10-lap average. Let's look more of the lap-by-lap lap data. Um, one of the interesting things that I decided to pull in this data to synthesize it a little bit for my analysis is two things. All right, how about not just your best, your five in a row. When we just look at his five fastest laps, he ranks 10th. Here's another thing that I pulled. Let's look at laps, his 15th fastest, his 16th, his 17th, his 18th, his 19th, and his 20th fastest lap. This gives us a really good indicator of did you manage tire fall off? Are you still managing tire fall off? You'll see that Ryan Blaney, very good late in the run. Now, this isn't necessarily 20 consecutive laps, but this is his 15th clocked lap, or his 15th fastest clocked lap, 16th fastest. They may not have come in consecutive order, but we're just getting an idea. If we were to rank his laps from fast to slow, it still gives us an idea on one set of tires how fast he was. Byron was okay. Not the greatest. He's very close to being just good enough. Very close to being in the conversation. And also starting up front is definitely a welcoming sight. These are kind of the criteria. Does he get invited to the party? Is he allowed in the room? Is he a part of the clique? That 10-lap average, it worries us. But what we could do is see, like, well, maybe that 10-lap average is killed by one specific lap that really, you know, drops it down. So he starts out practice by not running 10 in a row. And then his fastest section is only about eight laps. If we would have drawn that out to 10 laps, he would have been much faster. But when he does end up going out and running 10 in a row, it calculates in some really slow. It's at the very back end of his run. So we say, oh, he's only 19th fastest. Yes. But you're comparing his 10-lap run, which is at the end of his tire run, versus a lot of guys who registered a 10-lap run at the beginning on fresher tires. You can easily dismiss that 19, and you can see just on average speed of his laps, now he didn't run as many as other people. 
And by running more laps, that draws some of these guys down in terms of average. But if we're just looking at the front end of these runs alone, it's not looking bad. He's not looking great either because you can see here his tires are falling off a lot faster than some of the guys above him. And that would be concerning, but he does have second place. Now, if you were to ask me, looking at this data, knowing that he's starting on the front row, and what kind of a good season he was on at that point already, I mean, he would later go on and win at Martinsville. You can't factor that in. But would I put him in the conversation? Is he allowed in the room? Not saying that he's going to be the number one hog, but I'm saying, like, hey, who's going to be a part of this party of which I need to select the guy that's going to lead laps and run fast laps? Byron would be there. It's close. You'd like to see some better data. You'd like to at least see the five-lap average, but I can look at the individual laps and say, hey, it's not terrible. Kyle Busch, the fastest lap. Ninth fastest on five, ten. Again, we can look to see maybe that's a little bit better. When I look at five best laps ever, though, he's number two. When I look at his five fastest laps throughout the entirety of practice, Number two, when I look at what was he doing at the end of the run in terms of man, now this isn't even the end of a run. This is about halfway through a run. Couldn't go, not very many people ran more than 20 laps. Um, he's fastest. Of course, Kyle Busch is going to be there. Now we look at points. We look for correlation. He doesn't lead any laps. He runs fast laps. He can just never get out front. He's running into the top five for a lot of it. As you remember, in stage three, he's working his way back to the, up to the top five. It just kind of has has that tape issue where they black flag him. That ruins his finish. More than likely, I mean, he could have possibly been there right there with Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick at the end. If it wasn't for that penalty, it might have been him that won that race and grabbed fast laps, led points at the very end. He doesn't get to be a part of that conversation because Nass, and it's, you know, NASCAR probably didn't handle it in the best situation. What's new? What's new? They should have caught it immediately because if they would have caught the penalty immediately, that would have given the team time to recover. Now, when you catch the penalty in the middle of a long green flag run to close the race, making it nearly impossible for the team to recover, that's you know, you're basically a kneecap in Kyle Busch at that point. Um, you would hope, don't know if this were the case, that the NASCAR executives got together and said, look, we missed this penalty. Now, if we hit him with this penalty, it's even more severe than it would have been before. That's on us. Should we still penalize him, even though we know that by missing it, we have completely ruined his race? He broke the rules, but he also should have been provided the opportunity to come back from those mistakes, and we denied him the opportunity to recover from that mistake because of our own negligence. Maybe we shouldn't hit him with the penalty. Anyway, the penalty anyway. They nail him. Unforgiving. Full-blown penalty time. All right. So, so far, we're seeing pretty good correlation. Chase Briscoe Qualifies up front, fifth fastest short run. Not a good five-lap average. Maybe you can find a reason to explain that. We look at just five pure laps, pretty good. Back end, really bad. He was the winner of Phoenix. Teams talked about data at Phoenix, helping out with the next-gen car at Richmond. 
let's look at his laps. Um, in the end, his results halfway decent. Uh, if you watch my Richmond video, struggles in stage one. Car was way too tight. They fell and lost a lap at one point. He gets a lucky dog. They're able, and he doesn't even know that. I guess the setup changes work. The car comes to life. Different pitch strategy in stage three, but that really does not explain why he was able to finish 11th. The car just got a lot better. He got a lot more comfortable. He finished 11th. He was an 11th place car. His average driving position was 17th, but that is sand or saddled or weighed down by that really terrible run in the first stage. Luckily, he rebounded, but that probably should have been foreseen knowing that he wasn't even able to run deep in practice. That should have been a little bit of a concern early for his team, and they struggled early. But when he got the reps, he is a good driver. He bounced back. That should have been an alert. So we could have looked at his laps and see, look, we're really looking for correlation. The fact that he only ran 19 laps, not very good. Already seeing much more fall off from the other drivers. Came out pretty hot. Came out pretty fast. Um but not running very many laps, dropping off a lot sooner. I mean, you can see here on his 16th lap, he's at 114.6. Eric Jones is still running a mile per hour faster than him. He's, you know, 114.6 is not much faster. Denny Hamlin struggled in practice, but uh, who's some guy we compare? You know, guys down here in the 114s. Okay. Decent correlation, not the strongest. I probably wouldn't have put it in my common thing. We already went over Eric Jones. So the lap-by-lap -lap data correlates with Jones's results. The synthesized five-lap average does not. I guess we can be pretty clear. Average running position of 17th, whereas Briscoe came to life at the end. Jones, not necessarily the case. No, he had some contact. Well, that was this week in contact with Cody Ware, so I don't remember him being in contact in that race. Truex, really good. If you remember during the review video, he was probably a top five car. He was running in sixth when he decided to hit pit road first. When he hit pit road first, he cycled to the lead. And that's going to be the case again. You're going to have a group of drivers that are all very closely, close in speed. Who gets in that room? Who's in that conversation? Who's around that smoke-covered table, smoke-filled room, smoke-covered table? And from that, someone's going to emerge, and it's not necessarily going to be the fastest car. Truex was not, by any means, lightning quick. If anything, everyone in that room was lightning quick. Blaney was fast. Byron was fast. Kyle Busch was fast. Harvick was fast. What was going to separate, what was going to determine who was going to accrue the lead laps and the fast laps and even the win at the end was just going to be pit cycling and strategy. They weren't going to beat each other. They weren't going to outdrive each other. Hamlin gets the pass at the end, not because he was so much faster than Byron or Truex, but because those guys were on ancient tires and Hamlin just flew right by them. Harvick just flew right by them. So who's in that room? And then from that room, you've got to make a decision, and it's not necessarily going to be the guy that's the fastest. I know if I asked you, will the fastest car for Richmond to lead laps and run fast laps, you'd probably feel pretty comfortable. I ask you now, 
the fastest car in practice, the fastest car in current form going into the race. Let's say you've got an idea who that is. Let's pretend it's Kyle Busch. All point, all signs point to Kyle Busch leading laps and running fast laps. Okay, you feel pretty comfortable, feel pretty confident. I can roster him. Then I say, well, we're going to need probably three hogs in your lineup. Who is your second? Is it the second fastest car? When you're selecting the driver that's going to lead the second most laps or second most fast laps, are you picking the driver that's second fastest? Does it have to be second fastest? Let's say you had the second fastest. Let's say it is Truex. You were pretty comfortable. You were pretty confident that Kyle Busch was going to be a hog. He was the fastest. Now when we get that second driver, are you as confident that he's going to be a hog, that he's going to lead laps, run fast laps, and get the finish? You're likely a little less confident. And then I ask you, who's your third hog going to be? Will it be the third fastest car? You have identified in practice and through current form and through your research who you think the third fastest car is. How confident now are you that that guy is going to finish up front, get fast laps, get laps led? Compare that to how confident you felt about the guy you identified as the fastest versus the third fastest. There's a difference there. How big is that difference? Why? Why is there so much difference between the third and the first? Especially when we know that this race and many races don't really come down to who's the fastest. Most of the determining factors are sequencing and circumstance and strategy. And yet you've created a difference between one and three based on, well, I know he's the fastest. Is that the right way to approach picking a hog this weekend? I would say probably not. The right way is to, yeah, we want to know who's the fastest and we want to know current form when we decide who's in that room. And so imagine you've got a room filled with eight drivers that you think you're eight hogs or dominators, guys that can accrue fast lap points, meaningless lap sled points. And I highlight the word meaningless because that allows us to know that dominator is such a stupid word. And, and if you ever wanted to try to fight me on dominator, I would love. All right. The dominator, folks, the floor is yours. Explain this one to me. Go ahead. 2022 Spring Richmond race. I rest my case. The defense rests. Who's the dominator? You want to use that word dominator? Please, please, please tell me who dominated the race. Who dominated the field? Who controlled their opponents? Yeah, it didn't exist. Because it doesn't exist. They're just meaningless points. They're made up. They're fakes. So what F1 does? One fast lap. Who had the fastest lap during this race? Who basically ran a hot lap during the race to try to score a point? I don't know, man. Michael McDowell was really dominating. We had to pit for an unscheduled tire on 37 of the race and then was really fast a lap down from laps 37 to 71. Pure Michael McDowell domination. Michael McDowell. There wasn't a dominator. 
They would ever ask, all you gotta do is got Richmond race and say, please stop using this stupid word. Find another word. Use hog. It tells you what it really is. It's a meaningless, made-up statistic in a sport that was desperate to create statistics. And thank God we do have these made-up, meaningless statistics so that we can play DFS NASCAR. But by using incorrect terminology, you confuse people and you lead people down different routes. For example, if I'm trying to pick a dominator in Richmond, I'm going to lose. But if I go into Richmond thinking, who's going to randomly, and I, it's not completely random, it's not completely arbitrary, but who's going to get the opportunity to get fast laps and laps lead points? Who's in that room? And then from that room, yeah, I can try to pick the fastest, but most people are going to try to pick the fastest. But the reality is, when we looked at the lap-by-lap data, Truex may not have been the fastest. He was just the first down pit road. Christopher Bell decided to run long. They scored the points that we needed to win in DFS, not because they were the fastest, not because they were the second fastest, not because they were the third fastest. Remember remember your confidence in the fastest car leading laps? Remember your confidence in the second fastest car leading laps and the third fastest? Well, none of that matters. It was all a trick. The reality is when you got your set of drivers, your pool that you are going to choose from to lead laps and to run fast laps, it's going to come down to something that you can't necessarily control. It's going to come down to what strategy do they choose? He picked a different strategy. He picked a different strategy. He picked a different strategy. And guess what? All three, William Byron, Martin Truck Jr., Christopher Bell, come on down. You got an opportunity to be in the optimal lineup. You were fast enough, and then the strategy gods chose you, shine their light down upon you. Back to correlation. Harvick, fast enough. Play strategy right, in a position to play strategy right, doesn't leave any laps. He doesn't really get the chance, but has... A pretty good race. Either way, if we're just simply asking, did a fast practice correlate with a good race for Kevin Harvick? Clearly the answer is yes. I'm not going to go through everybody's lap-by-lap practice. You can do that for yourself. Ross Chastain looks good, great. There's a red flag, and we'll talk about that red flag. 15-20 laps, he struggles. Very fast in all the other marks. Having a good season. Everything pointing in his direction. You would be pretty excited. Boy, that 15-20 lap, he didn't really even run one. So let's see what's going on late in the run to Ross Chastain. And then see if that might be a worry. You're going to see this fall off is not terrible. And there it is. Not good. It's not terrible. But... If I compare him to Harvick, to Ham, maybe not to Hamlin, but to, to Bush, to Truex, to these other tier guys, he's definitely a step below. And if we look at the lap-by-lap data, you see he's really strong through stages one and stage two, but then stage three on a very long run, Ross Chastain's car just goes away from him. That might have been a slight clue there, that late run drop-off and him pulling it in saying, hey, maybe he didn't manage his tires very well. This could be a problem across long runs in stage three. That might, I mean, that for me will get him disinvited from the room. Bell's fast. Bell has tons of wins in the Xfinity Series. Checks all the boxes. Would like to see him manage his tires a little bit better there. 
I could, I could see you arguing, I don't know if he gets to get in there. But if you let him into that room and say, you know, I'm going to pick him as a little bit of a different guy. Maybe he chooses a different strategy, and he does, and he leads laps while others are on a different cycle. And that's really all Bell did. If Bell stays on a, a third cycle like everybody else, he may be a top five car, but he never leads. Bell in stage two goes on the halves cycle, and that leads him to lead laps. He goes back on the third schedule, pitting twice, or breaking in it in two-thirds in stage three, and he doesn't lead. But was he fast enough? Yes, he has a good race. He's been excellent at Richmond. This is easily his best track. This is easily JGR's best track. No worries whatsoever. All right. Eric Almarola, average running position of 19th, lines about up with his practice data. Joey Logano, pretty fast in practice, good average running position. He has a really bad pit stop in stage three. Runs well in stage one, stage two. Bad pit stop, stage three. Gets into traffic. It just doesn't really have much of a car in stage three. It happens. Adversity happens. Um, we'll know if he really had that great of a car, but I would say there's correlation there. Cole Custer, not very fast in practice. I think this is all pretty good. No correlation. The one that steps out, stands out, is Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin wins the race, but he only leads at the end. He gets really good at the end. I mean, this is going to sound like you're making excuses. Denny Hamlin did not like his car before the race. Denny Hamlin said it was a top 15 car at best, and that's true based on what he had in practice. Maybe they made some adjustments early, but they kept working on it throughout the race. The strategy played into his hand, and so Hamlin, it worked out. Again, not, not very strong correlation. And we are, after the fact, making excuses and explaining things away, which you can't do before a race. But this is fine. Going into Richmond, too, it's not going to be 100%. You cannot go into this race thinking that everyone's practice data is going to tell them exactly what they're going to do during a race. Practice is practice. The race is race. There's always going to be differences. Teams are always going to learn things throughout. They're going to find better setups throughout and bring the car to life. And some teams can go in the opposite direction, just like in any other sport. You practice all week like, yeah, we got a great game plan. And then you get in the game, and man, sometimes it really works. And every play is nailing, and you win by 40 points. And sometimes you get in there, and you're dropping balls or making mistakes, and you lose. Or sometimes you go in there. And it's just completely a disaster. You didn't prepare for the right situation. That could happen with the track changing. It just it happens. Practice is not 100% causal. It's not 100% correlative. Now, you don't say 100%, whatever. I'm not going to talk about some R score or whatever. But is there a strong correlation between the Richmond practice data? I would argue yes. And you can look through it on your own. I would suggest you look through the lap-by-lap -lap data. You can do this by going to raceforthepries.com. And there's a red box at the top with a helmet. It says Brandon Cruz DFS. And by going and signing up for the Patreon, no long-term commitment. Maybe just do it for a month or whatever. Patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. You can get access to all and tons of spreadsheets and data points. Pit times. That's really something that you might want to look into is pit work and in this sheet specifically i've got your so this is in the richmond sheet but you can go to the pure pit speed 
sheet. And in that, you get all the data that you can manipulate and adjust. You get all the raw data that you can manipulate and adjust. It's, it's pretty wild and out there. And NASCAR makes mistakes here and there. So the way that you synthesize the data, it's up to you. I tried to pick the best, the quickest, and the, the, the form that had the most utility. Uh, so, and then this is just one sheet pulling from that sheet. And you can see, all right, these are top 10 pit stops throughout the season. So in a race, did you have a top 10 pit time? Well, 21 times at the end of the race, Chase LA has been top 10. 29 times at the end of the race, he had one of the 20th, now sometimes maybe a two or three from that same very race. You can see Kyle Busch is really at the top of the charts in terms of that. This is their in-box and out average. So this calculates how long did it take you to drive in to your stall? How much time was spent in your stall? How much time to drive out of your stall? The whole comprehensive pit stop. It's not a perfect number. We've got different tracks and, you know, it gets complicated. But the best I can do, we're drawing from a pretty good data size at this point. But Chase Elliott's been the best at that. Averages can obscure things, but maybe you do that. If we're talking, again, about a Richmond race, you've got that smoke-filled room. Who's in the private party with the ladies with very few clothes on? I can say that because my audience is about, not about, lately it's 100% male, 100% 24 to 35. So we're in that private room with the champagne and the scantily clad women. Who are the drivers in there? They're going to be hogs, oink, oink, brother. Who are they going to be? Now, maybe you know who those hogs are, oink, oink, but which one's going to stand up and be really ferocious? Who's going to attract all of the ladies in that room, right? Just because you're in that room does not mean ladies are on your lap. Great, you're hanging on, you're part of the party, but there's one guy and he's got a wad full of bills, and the ladies are attracted like magnets. Who's that going to be? Now, is it because he's got a wad full of bills? Is it because he's the fastest, or is it because he simply is the fastest on pit road? You could use this as a deciding factor in selecting your one of your hogs, two of your hogs, all three of your hogs, up to you. That's going to do it. Raceforthepries.com. Bring it all your fancy NASCAR information. Please like the video, subscribe to the video, leave comments, or respond to the comments, share the videos with other people. Hopefully it helps them out with your friends, family, your neighbors, your hogs, your lady friends of the night, of which you give wads of bills or crumpled up ones, which are practically worthless anymore. I wonder if you're even allowed to use ones anymore. If you have to use fives, you probably do. I'm glad I'm old. Don't have to deal with that anymore. Patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. You should be following Cruz. I know you're following Cruz. I know you're subscribed to his channel. Much more subscriptions than I do. Watching his live shows for Richmond this week. Saturday, the action gets started. And Sunday, have fun. Maybe I'll get some more work for you. The HVAC system's blaring. I can already hear people complaining. Rock and roll. Mountain troll.